The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to our program, Afternoons with Mike. It's my privilege to be with you daily at this time. On the line with me from Plano, Texas, is a man that I've uh, got to know just a little bit in the last couple of days through reading some of his books. He has the uh, co-author of a book called Leading with Questions, How Leaders Discover Powerful Answers by Knowing How and What to Ask. And his name is Bob Teedy. A little bit more about Bob. He has uh, been with Campus Crusade, now known as Crew, for 52 years. Now, that may be the longest tenure of any of my guests that I've ever had. That is amazing. He served eight years uh, in Crew Campus, 24 years as the CEO of the Josh McDowell Ministry, and now 20 years on the U.S. Leadership Development Team for Crew. He is the leader of the blog called leadingwithquestions.com, which is now in its 11th year. And that's a, that's quite an introduction to quite a guy. Bob T.D., welcome to my program. Mike, it is my absolute pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for that incredible introduction. Well, 52 years working for a single organization and still going strong. It's not every day that I get to talk to somebody with that kind of tenure. And uh, well, I love it. Uh, I was going to say, Mike, your new friend Bob obviously has no ability to go out and get a new job. <laughs> <laughs> Nor does he need to. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, and you, you've got this thing, you know, I almost thought it, if I didn't have so much else to work with in the introduction, I was going to open up, which I'll do right now with the, the whole point about what a lot of your books really focus on. The main focus is this ability to ask a question and actually lead better by asking questions. And I'm, I'm, thinking of questions that almost everyone, whether they think about it or not, they've heard, like to be or not to be. That's usually followed with the expression, that is the question. And then we yeah. have the famous question asked by Pontius Pilate, what is truth? So those are two great examples of this whole point that you make about leadership. You, you said in one of your books that uh, you quoted, I'm not sure who it was that originally said this, but you said, good leaders know how to give the right answers. Great leaders know how to ask the right questions. Now that is, that's really cause, uh, I think, and it's, it's cause for a pause. It's, it's really a need that we have to stop and think about this whole thing about asking questions. How did you get into that? Well, Mike, uh, that's that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, let me go way back. Uh, a, a gentleman named Bob Beal, uh, since 1980, has really been a mentor to me. And uh, shortly after I met Bob uh, in 1980, he said one day, he said, "Bob, I, I have a I have a collection. I collect something. You have any idea what my collection might be?" Well, I kind of figured since he was asking, it was probably not going to be obvious. In other words, stamps <laughs> or, or coins. And But I finally said, I, I have no idea. And he said, I collect questions. And I probably oh. looked at him like, that's kind of a strange thing to collect. <laughs> Never heard that and, one before. Uh, and uh, he began to share the importance of questions with me. And that uh, the great thing about questions is, is let's say you ask a question and somebody says, Mike, that's a great question. He says, write those ones down. But second, whenever you're asked a great question, write it down. Whenever you read a great question, write it down. He said, you know, the thing about questions is they're really not copyrighted. Like you can't use somebody else's question. And uh, so he was the very first one that, that, highlighted the value of great questions. 
And I remember a quote from him is that, that questions are like the golden keys that unlock intricate lock boxes. Hmm. And in so doing, they lock out thoughts or, or unlock, rather, unlock thoughts, memories, uh, perspectives because of the question. Well, fast forward. Uh, I had joined the U.S. leadership development team, as you said, in 2004. And uh, in 2006, I remember this date because uh, it's the date that I found the first edition of Leading with Questions by Dr. Michael Marquardt. Now, I was always looking for leadership content, stuff I could share, and perusing a few pages of that book in a bookstore, I said, okay, I'm buying this one. It's going home. I had no idea that that book would actually forever change my leadership and in a couple of years set me even on a new path of mm -hmm. leading with questions. And, uh, and that book was just, again, it, as I read that book, Mike, over and over, I, I was asking, why hasn't anyone actually shared this perspective with me before of, of the value of leading with questions? And, uh, it just so grabbed me. Hmm. I began to teach out of it and had eight sessions put together that I was using within crew, and it was really well received. Well, Mike, you asked how we got started. That's how I got started. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd been aware through Bob Beal, but what really clicked is when I found in 2006 the first edition of Leading with Questions by Dr. Michael Morquart. Now, I'm holding in my hand a copy of the book the third edition that is by Michael McCourt and also now by Bob Tede. So you've gone from buying the first edition in a bookstore and then two editions later, you are a co-author with this person who wrote the book that changed your life and direction and the way you build leaders. And that, that has to be now another question. How is it that you met Michael McCourt? Well, thank you for asking. It is a story. It's a God story. Uh, you know, something, uh, one of my favorite verses, Mike, is man plans his way, but God orders our footsteps. Yes. And uh, there's so many times in my life I've been in the right place at the right time. And if you ask, how'd you figure that out, Bob? The answer is I didn't. <laughs> God <laughs> ordered my footsteps. So the first step was when I found that book. Hmm. Now, fast forward, 2012, one of my colleagues and crew had started a blog, and I ran into her at our headquarters, and I said, hey, you've started a blog. And she said, Bob, you need to start a blog. And I said, why would I want to start a blog? And she said, well, Bob, I know you're 60-something. You probably know I'm 50-something. And uh, our target audience of emerging leaders that were developing, their average age is about 28. And she said, uh, you know, a mistake a 60-some, 50-something leader can make is thinking, hey, these young emerging leaders, they speak English, we speak English, we're good. <laughs> and she said, you know, that is helpful. If they spoke Hungarian, we'd, we'd have to learn a new language. But she said, Bob, they also speak social media. That's right. And, and she said, when they politely inquire, hey, Bob, are, are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Are you Facebook? And that 60-some leader, you know, hold, puts up both hands and shakes their head no and says, no, 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 I'm never going to do that. She said, well, our staff are polite. They're probably not going to say anything. But she said, I fear they're walking away thinking, I hear old Bob did some good things in his day. Mm -hmm. And Mike, that just clicked for me. And so I said, okay, I'm going to start a blog. Well, the first question is, what are you going to blog on? And I thought, well, I don't want to do another leadership blog like there's so many good ones. And then I had this question, is there a niche of leadership I could blog on? And as soon as I had that question, it was like, of course, it would be this leading with question thing. Mm -hmm. So I go to a, online, you can go to WordPress. It, it's a, a platform that a lot of bloggers use. Oh, sure. And the first thing that they ask is, what do you want your blog to be called? I.e., is the URL for that available? And on a lark, I typed in the name of this book, Leading with Questions, not my book, book by Dr. Michael McWhart. And as I typed it in, I smiled, thinking, surely he, the author or the publisher, will have tied this up. 
But no, it was available, and it was available, you know, at, I forget, $29 a year. In other words, the cheapest price. Yeah. Well, I grabbed it. I grabbed it legally. I didn't steal it. But I had a little feeling in the back of my head, a little awkward feeling, wondering, I wonder how this guy, Dr. Michael McCourt, who I did not know, will feel about this. Well, I started blogging, and I, on purpose, I waited about three months. I wanted to get some content on the blog. And then I worked very carefully on the most diplomatic email I could write and sent an email to Dr. Michael Morfort sharing how his book had changed my leadership, thanking him for writing it, sharing that I'd started this blog, asking uh, if I might have his permission to excerpt from his book and that we would make it a featured image and a link to Amazon to purchase and and uh, with a bit of fear and trembling, hit sent. Yes. <laughs> Within 24 hours, I had the most gracious email saying how encouraged he was to receive my email. And yes, Bob, carte blanche permission to excerpt from my book. Wow. Well, fast forward a, a year or two later, maybe it was two years later, uh, I get an email from Dr. Michael McFort sharing that uh, he is going to do a second edition. And he asked if I would be willing to write a uh, an endorsement and if he could list leadingwithquestions.com as a recommended resource. It was like, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and then within a year after the second edition came out, we were taking a group of our leaders to Washington, D.C. And, and ahead of time, I checked to see, would he be in town? Would he be willing to come speak to our group? And I shared that I would buy uh, copies of the second edition for everybody in our group. And might he be willing to come an hour early so that he could autograph them? Well, he was in town. He agreed to do that. He came an hour early. Uh, Mike, actually, uh, my request for the hour early to sign was a bit selfish in the sense that I knew I could open the books to have them sign, but I'd get an hour one-on-one -on -one with him. Yeah, there's some nice benefit and to that, right? Yeah. Well, I was, you know, saying Dr. McCourt, and he quickly said, Bob, just call me Mike. Wow. And, uh, and so our friendship deepened there, and we continued to stay in touch. And then about a year and a half ago, Mike called me, said, Bob, it's time for a third edition. Would you be willing to be the co-author? Mike, wow. <laughs> what? Are you really? <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> he said, well, Bob, in a new edition, you need about 25% new content. And he said, here's the reality. You now have over a thousand blog posts on your blog at that point in 10 years. And, and Bob, all the additional content we need, we can find on your blog. And so last summer, we worked together for about six weeks. And Dr. Marquardt is brilliant, and he knew his, you know, first two editions. But uh, he would, we would talk about each chapter. He would tell me the kinds of things he needed. I would go uh, through all the blog posts, find stuff, and you know, generally send him four to five times as much content as he needed for new stuff for that chapter, so that he could sort through and pick and choose what would be the best. And uh, again, it's just such a huge privilege. And truthfully, Mike, if, if Dr. McCourt had said, hey, it's going to read uh, Dr. Michael McCourt with Bob Teedy, I, I would have still been elated. But he said, no, no, no. I want you to be the co-author. That's amazing. So that's the story. That, and that's a great story. And I think it's important to highlight something. Whenever I see humility in action like that, it has to be highlighted. You have to talk about it because it's not every day that you have a guy that has a successful book and then a second edition of a successful book. But in the interim there, to find out that you've come in and really t you did, legally so, and, and now thankfully so, took advantage of the fact that that leading with questions website or the URL was open uh, he did not respond with selfishness or anger or anything at all like that. No suspicion. That kind of humility is rather rare, isn't it? Well, it is. 
it is. And and he's, you know, become such a cheerleader uh, for me. And, uh, and again, I continue to learn so much from him. Um, you know, like every, like every good friend, he is a gift, God's gift to me. Mm, that's wonderful. The book is called Leading with Questions. Again, how leaders discover powerful answers by knowing how and what to ask. And that, again, is by Michael J. Marquardt and also Bob Tede, who is my guest today. And, you know, I, I found out about you through Scott Miller, who's part of our organization and a new friend as well. And he speaks highly of you. And I look at the book that you've you've sent me here, and I've so enjoyed reading through. And I might add that your signature on the front of it, you ask a question. I've never seen this before. When someone signs a book, they do it by asking a question. And that just, that really just affected me, man, as I'm reading this. Uh, and you sent me some other resources, and in every one of those pages... You've asked a question to me, and it's great. So when I go through this, and I'm reading through some of these things, you have this way, and I think that's the secret sauce, is it not, of asking a question, and the one of the main, and we got just enough time for your answer to this one. Uh, is it not that you're asking a question, hoping that it's going to unlock something in the hearer that they may not have thought of before, or it may have impacted them in a real powerful way. Would that be one of your motives? Yeah, well, a absolutely, absolutely. You know, from, from little on, uh, think about this, Mike. When, when you were little, even you could not read, you could speak. And uh, your grandmother came over and asked you a question. If you didn't respond, what did your mother say to you? Yes, she would say, why haven't you answered? <laughs> Your grandma asked you a question, Mike. <laughs> and, That's uh, right. It's kind of built in with us, all of us, every person, that when you're asked a question, you need to answer. And, uh, and what questions do, well, Mike, I mean, another thing I share is I, is I ask people, have you learned the fine art of looking like you're paying attention? When somebody's talking on and on and on, when in fact your mind may be a thousand miles away. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm yet to meet a person that that has ever said, no, I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> we all have learned how to look like we're paying attention when our mind may be elsewhere. Yeah, that's right. But but Mike, if if I was talking on and on, the moment I say, hey, Mike, can I ask you a question? Where would your full attention come to? Well, it better be snapped right uh, back into yeah. the conversation. It is, and and you're 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 waiting for the question. You're wondering, will I understand the question? What will the question be? You have, if you've been a thousand miles away, you are now back and fully present. Yeah, right. That's and right. And you're waiting, and then when you hear the question, you're thinking, okay, how do I want to answer? Now, sometimes it's simple, but let's say it required. Uh, sharing an opinion, a thought, even as you begin to speak, your eyes would focus on my face to see, was I understanding? Was I pleased? Was I confused? Was I upset? And you would edit it even what you continued to say based on that. That's right. Hey, let's pick that up. Let's pick that up right after this break. We're up against one. My guest is Bob Tede, and he is an author of uh, this book, a co-author leading with questions and has quite a ministry about uh, that very thing. We'll be back with Bob in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. You're on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. 
For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Here with me today is Bob TD. He is from the Dallas area. He's actually in Plano, which is a lovely community. Been there before a couple of times. And uh, my son, of course, who lives in Dallas, I get to travel all through the Metroplex. That's a huge area. Everything's bigger in Texas. And so is Dallas, man. It's huge. Yeah, it is. And it has continued to grow uh, immensely. Yeah, it is, and it's in all directions, we might add. So uh, that's a beautiful area to be from. People say if you can't be from Florida, you got to go to Texas. I agree. I think those are the two fine states in our union today. I'm glad that uh, you're there, and I'm glad I'm where I am, and we can love each other's states here, Bob. Of course, you have to also occasionally be in Orlando, I would imagine, because of your relationship with crew, right? Yes. Yeah, our headquarters is in Orlando, and it is a frequent destination. Well, we have to get together. Sometime when you're back, you have to come up and uh, be on my program again here in the studio. I would love that. Well, this is great. You know, with the end of segment one, we were talking about the fact that people can go out, kind of like drift away in the middle of a conversation and, you know, there are some people that uh, my dad, you would say, would be a little long in the jaw. <laughs> That's how he would say it. I loved it. And I, I got it. And I'm probably one of those people myself that as I'm talking. But you were right when you said that the moment someone pauses in what they're saying and ask a question, one of two things are going to happen. It's either going to snap that person back into the conversation where they should have stayed all along. Or it's going to be an embarrassing moment when the whole world now is going to see that you've checked out. and You're no longer part of that conversation. And that can be quite an eye-opener, right? Oh, it's good. I'm, I'm also thinking that uh, a frequent response by people in that, in that uh, situation is, wait, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they missed the question, but they, they you know, in other words, they didn't hear it except kind of on the end, they realized, he just asked a question, so they respond with, Mike, wait, what? what? <laughs> uh, we had a friend of ours who, uh, they were a couple, and he was he drifted off in reading the newspaper while she was talking to him. And suddenly she could tell that he had checked out, and she suddenly said to him, uh, Hey, Mark, do you realize that there are dinosaurs right out our front window? <laughs> and he said, Yes, dear. And, and then he thought about it and there was an awkward moment where he thought, uh, probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> and, and, and it opened up a big realization that he was not in that conversation at all. Well, Mike, in, in the research I've done, and I'm sorry, I can't, uh, give the, uh, the quote for this or, or you know, the attribution. But uh, research has showed that um, if you can imagine when you're speaking a green, yellow, red light in terms of the listener, mm. and the research said when we start speaking, the light stays green only for about two, three minutes, and then it turns yellow. And if we continue to speak and we get to around four to five, it turns red, meaning yeah. they have gone somewhere else. That's right. First, the question then is, how do you get the light to turn green again? And the answer is, ask another question. That's right. And uh, that's really been helpful in my thinking, just to think, okay, you, may, you know, it's an imaginary light, but uh, I'm visiting with Mike, and or I'm on the platform speaking to a whole audience. Mm-hmm. If, if my statement goes, you know, beyond about three minutes, I'm going to lose people. The way to gain them back is to say, gang, I've got another question for you. Mm. And, uh, you know, and, and questions also allow you, you know, you think, again, the title, Leading with Questions. Whenever a leader asks a question, it focuses everybody's attention on that in a way that's actually more powerful than if the leader just said, hey, gang, let me tell you about this. Mm-hmm. But when it, hey, gang, 
let me ask you about this. What do you think we might do here in this situation? Well, you have much more chance of all the brains uh, are, are focused on that question that the leader has just asked. Wow, that is that is so wise, and it is true. It is so true that a leader can spark something brand new, and it's not like they're changing courses, but they can kind of keep, you know, I'm thinking right now, I have a picture that asking questions like what you're describing in a conversation is the difference between a stagnant pool and a stream that has a flow to it. Asking wow. questions would be like the flow of a stream, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Mike, another thing that I share was one of my books, 339 Questions Jesus Asked. And actually, uh, if, if you know, you may have the book near you. It's not authored by Bob. That book was authored by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, <laughs> who were reporting the questions That's that Jesus right. asked. And it says on that book, compiled by Bob. Uh, but when you add up in the, if you, in the NIV version, you just add up all the questions that Jesus asked in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they add up to 339 questions. Isn't that something? And even when I'm speaking to a secular audience, I'll say, uh, you know, who was the greatest communicator that ever lived? And almost always, even a secular audience will say Jesus. And, uh, and you know, sometimes other names are named. And, and I'll say that, uh, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, but even if you're not, I can respect that. But couldn't we all learn from the man who was at least one of, I think, the greatest, you may think one of the greatest communicators of all time? Mm-hmm. And we study Jesus as a communicator, and I say, oh, by the way, he started a movement 2,000 years ago that's still signing up recruits today. So <laughs> might we be able to learn from his communication? I think and you're right. I say, yeah, you know, what were the two pillars of his communication? Mike, what, what would you say are the two pillars of Jesus's communication? Well, you're putting me on the spot with this question now, man. This is a, this is a, a hot seat question. <laughs> The two pillars, uh, I would, I, I'm just going to say, you know, um, I'm sure they're wonderful pillars. What, what are they, Bob? <laughs> um, well, stories and questions. Stories and uh, questions. Okay. Yeah, parables are stories. Yes. He told and, uh, parables, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus spoke at the time, uh, many in that audience could not actually read or write. Uh, it was an oral uh, kind of culture. Not everyone, but there'd be many. Mm -hmm. But uh, Jesus knew that if you told the story, something I, I find fascinating, Mike, about stories to this day is when we hear a great story, without writing it down, without saying, oh, I got to study and memorize this, that story, we might recall it a day later, a month later, and we can almost share it verbatim. Stories are sticky. And, and I was just thinking, I bet Jesus knew that. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, he shared the story of the Good Samaritan, and people went home, and you know, later they could share the story. They had it memorized just because it's sticky. Well, the second thing is he asked questions. And, uh, you know, Mike, you and I, we ask a lot of questions from time to time because we don't know the answer. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. why we ask. Think about this. Jesus never asked a question because he didn't know the answer. That's a good point. He knew it already. So he had another motive for asking wow. other than uh, him finding out. I mean, he even knew ahead of time how they would answer. Yeah. But he knew that if he could stir their mind, he had a greater chance of actually creating change in them. Hmm. And it was his question, but because they answered, they were changed by what they thought, to some extent, was their own idea. That's right. <laughs> but by the question. Wow. That's good stuff there. 
And the two pillars, again, would be then stories and questions. And that's how yeah. Jesus used these things. And again, I go back, I, I think of a lot of times when I, I can think of some of those questions that, that Jesus, uh, e- even as simple as the one where he said, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? I mean, that's a great question because it, it, it demands an evaluation of one's own heart then to say, well, why am I afraid? And, you know, sometimes isn't it funny how something that is so simple, it can seem like it's as close to us as the nose on our face, but we miss it. And a simple question can cause that to come to front and center in our thinking. And that's really the goal in, in what uh, you're teaching through these books and through this blog is to uh, kind of mix it up and use a question to get people thinking. And, and like you say, some of the questions are so simple. Uh, Mike, do you recall how Jesus ended this telling of the story of the Good Samaritan? Ooh, okay. With a question. Yes. Okay. And, and Mike, that question actually wasn't very difficult. I mean, if you and I had been there, and now here was the test, and he just told the story of the Good Samaritan, and then said, now, who was the neighbor? Well, it'd be like, well, the Samaritan. In other words, it was not what we would think of being a very tough question. But But wait a minute. Jesus was telling this story to a group of Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike, I don't know about you. Well, I ask you, Mike, did you grow up in a home where your parents and grandparents hated Samaritans? No. No. Not, not if, Samaritans. <laughs> they yeah, hated fact, other yeah. people, but not Samaritans. Yeah. In fact, today, if there was an athletic team called the Good Samaritans, we'd just instinctively be for them. But Jesus was telling that story. Yeah to a group of Jewish people who hated the Samaritans. If they lived in northern Israel, they went the long way around because they didn't want to go through Samaria. Right. And so he's telling a story where a member of this hated group is the hero. And at the end, he asked what we could think is a simple question, like, you know, that doesn't require a lot of thought, but it it required... Uh, readjusting the thinking and then the man who who answered i bet he didn't answer quickly and it's also interesting he chose not to actually use the word samaritan Mm -hmm. but he rather said the one who showed mercy and uh and i'm just you know there's so many parts of the scripture that i wish uh, paul harvey was around to dig out the rest of the story yeah i know it's like i would love to know what happened to that man how was his life perhaps changed because of that powerful question and it was powerful in that situation understanding the hatred for the samaritans and what was going on in the culture it was not powerful from a perspective of huh i wonder who that neighbor would be. Uh, But, you know, you and I might have ended the telling with a, therefore, therefore, the good Samaritan, the Samaritan's the good neighbor. But Jesus (laughs) ended with a powerful question. Who then was the neighbor? You know, I think about another illustration from the book of John, the last chapter, where Jesus is talking to Peter and Peter sees uh, he sees John and he's complaining and he goes, what about him? So he asks Jesus a question and then Jesus gives an answer with a question. He turns yeah. around and says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And so that's yeah. a, yeah, that's a, sometimes a question <laughs> that is an answer uh, kind of uh, becomes all the answer that you really want to need. You, you don't want to go by, you know, just ask Job. God asked him all these questions. Where were you? And, uh, you know, suddenly all of Job's questions, they didn't seem like uh, they were as important as before, right? Yeah, what a powerful question. Where were you? Where were you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, here's one more question before we take another break for you. Uh, uh, In your book, uh, now that's a great question. You start that off with a confession. Now I've got to hear this. What is the confession, Bob? Well, you know, confessions need to be true, and this is true. For most of my crew career, looking back, I was a benevolent dictator. 
and and not out of evil intent, but my only perspective of leadership was that a leader needs to tell staff what to do. A leader needs to give mm. direction to his or her staff. And I did say benevolent. I grew up in a home where I was taught to say please and thank you. So, Mike, if you'd been on my team, I, I don't think I ever would have said, Mike, here's what I need you to go do. It'd be more like, hey, Mike, you know, this week we're working on this. It'd really be great if you could please do this. Mm-hmm. And it did it, I would have said thank you at a staff meeting. Mike, stand up. You all need to hear what Mike did. And, and I don't want to suggest that we got nothing done, but looking back, I didn't see it at the time. But my only perspective of leadership is that a leader needs to tell staff what to do. And of course, that changed in 2006 when I discovered uh, leading with questions by Dr. Michael Marquardt. And and begin to, you know, as I read that book, uh, my only question was, why hasn't anyone ever shared this perspective with me before? I immediately saw the power of it and, and how a leader who leads with questions is so much more effective. Mm. Uh, Mike, I know we need a break, but when we come back, I have a silly question to ask you, and it'll be, but I'm going somewhere with a silly question to ask a second question. I love it. Well, we're going to get to that in just a moment then. We are up against another break. My guest is Bob Teedy. He is with Crew and has been for 52 years. I mean, there's a probably a whole segment that we could talk about on just how it was that you were able to do that in this day and age where people are so mobile and upwardly mobile in their jobs that you've been able to stick with this for 52 years. But we're going to hear Bob's question and more coming in just a moment when we return. Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. We'll be right back. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Back again now here with Bob Teedy from Crew. And Bob, you are the man leading with questions.com. And you've written all these books. Uh, a lot, I know a lot of them are available free as ebooks. And we'll talk about that at the end of this segment about how people can get a hold of these ebooks and take advantage of what you've learned and what you've studied. Plus, there's the book that uh, you are now the co author with Michael McQuart, Dr. Michael McQuart, called Leading with Questions. And that is available on Amazon. And anyone can get it. Uh, The one that Bob has uh, co-written is the third edition, Leading with Questions, How Leaders Discover Powerful Answers by Knowing How and What to Ask. So you mentioned at the end of segment two about asking me a question. It causes me a little bit of fear and trembling, but that's okay. Here we go. Mike, let me set this up with saying (laughs) that one of the things I share is that a leader who leads with questions will often be 10 times more effective than a leader who only leads by telling. Wow. And and illustrate that, I want to ask you a couple questions, but the first question is really a silly question, but go with me. Understand I'm going somewhere with this, but here, I want you to imagine that you're out in a big rowboat, maybe a big canoe, and you've got nine of your staff with you. You You're overseeing a team of nine, you're the 10th, and uh, you got everybody in that rowboat. There's oars for everyone, all 10 of them, and your goal is to get that boat that canoe across the lake as quick as possible. Mike, how many of them would you like to have row with you? <laughs> Every one of them. Every one. I told you it was a silly question. But now, second question, I want you to imagine that that team is now seated around your conference table. There's you and there's those nine others all around that conference table. Now, listen to this next part very carefully. If you're a leader like I used to be, in other words, you think your job is to tell them what to do and their job is to do it, Mm -hmm. and you're thinking through how to take advantage of a new opportunity, how many mental oars are in the water? Mm. 
That's probably a lot less than what would have been in the boat, I would think, because people just check out at that one. Well, if you're the leader who thinks your job is to tell them what to do and their job is to do it. Only two oars. Well, yours. Yes, yeah. mine. Yeah. Oh, you're, well, you're I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, yeah, you're right. It's two oars for me if I have a double oar system. But in, in, in your analogy, it's one oar. That's right. One, yeah. But now imagine that instead of being that leader who thinks your job is to tell them what to do and their job is to do it, imagine you lean forward, you look from right to left or left to right. In other words, you, you look at the whole group. And you say, gang, here's the opportunity we have before us. What do you all think we might do to take advantage of this? Now, potentially, how many oars are going to be in the water? That's right, every one of them. Yeah. And, And Mike, again, you're the leader, but as they begin to share ideas, is it possible that you might hear an idea better than any of the ideas you thought of? Absolutely. You know, what is it about our culture, Bob, that you might give an explanation for? What is it about our culture that we got away from that kind of attack and instead uh, a lot of uh, leaders feel like they need to be the answer man and know it all? Oh, well, I once was that leader. (laughs) And, uh, And as I look back, Mike, what a heavy burden on the shoulder of Mm -hmm. any leader who thinks she or he needs to have all the answers. The truth is none of us have all the answers. And and I know there was times where I'd be asked a question, I didn't know the answer, and I'd make one up on the spot. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sure my staff, some of them thought, I don't think Bob knew. I think he just made that one up. (laughs) And, but a leader who leads with questions, as I say, you don't need all the answers, just a few of the questions. So today, Mike, when I'm asked a question, and you know, let's say you came and you said, Bob, I've got a question for you. And you share the question, and, and the truth is, I have no clue on the answer. Well, instead of, you know, like, oh, I'm a terrible person, or I just need to make something up, I say, Mike, that, that's a fantastic question. How would you answer it? You turn it right and, back around. Yeah, and you might say, "Well, Bob, I don't know. That's why I came to you." Well, Mike, that that is a that's a question we need to figure out an answer. Where do you think we could find an answer? Mm-hmm. And and you may say, "Well, I think George might know, or Sarah, or we could you know do a Google search." Again, Mike, that's fantastic. I'd love to know the answer. Could you go do that research, and then come back and share uh, you know what kind of the best answers to that question are? Well, Mike, with that change of perspective, I'm actually prepared today to answer any question mm-hmm. because I don't have to have the answer. And actually, I also believe that a team is going to trust a leader more who only answers when they fact feel they know the answer and has no problems saying when they don't. I can trust that leader. Yeah, right. It's the leader who always has an answer. And I'm thinking, I think they made that up. (laughs) You know, I can think of a lot of times where I've been in meetings like this around the table, whether it would be at uh, one of the radio stations or a TV station that I've worked with, or at some of the church offices where we think, you know, and and sometimes we speak and, and we're kind of only speaking in statements now, not questions, but we're speaking pretty confidently and and we've given it what we think is our best shot and no one could argue with that right and we sh- we stop talking and somebody turns around and asks a simple question that turns that whole statement upside down that is an awkward feeling for that person who put all of their apples in the cart of knowing yep. their statement and yep. that that one question brought now an entirely different atmosphere into the room. That that happens if you don't ask questions, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you, this is uh, mind um, really mind-boggling for me. Uh, you can share, you've said in one of your books that you can teach anyone to do this whole thing of leading with questions 
in 30 seconds. Now, tell us more about that one. Well, Mike, the reason I ask that of every audience is is I quickly get a sense that, that people listening would like to learn to lead with questions, but they imagine that to do so, they'll have to get a master's degree in questionology. You know, <laughs> nice idea, but probably will never happen. So when I say, who here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds, every hand in the audience goes up. And I always pick one and say, come on up. And, and Mike, you're the one I picked today. Yeah. And and as Mike comes up, you know, on the stage, I say, hey, Mike, I, I chose you because I think you have a photographic memory. And they always look at me like, I don't think I do. And I say, I really think you do. In fact, all you're going to have to do is to memorize my four favorite questions, Mike, and, and uh, and, and you'll be able to lead with questions. In fact, you know, I have a second hand on my watch. So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to start by sharing my four favorite questions. I'm then going to ask if you have them memorized. And if you say yes, I'm going to say share them with us. And when you share the fourth question, when you're done with that, that's when the clock's going to stop. So, Mike, let's see if this will work. Oh, man. You're <laughs> making me question. work for my segment today, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. First All right. question. What do you think? Second, what else? Third, what else? Fourth, what else? Mike, <laughs> do you have a memorized? Yes, I do, Bob. What do you think? What else? What else? What else? Boom. Oh, I have to change this to 17 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mike, some people might be a little skeptical, like, Bob, you can't ask somebody, what do you think? What else? What else? What else? And I said, well, of course, not in that rapid fashion. But, of course, when you start and you're going to say, hey, what do you think about? You're going to tie a topic to that. What do you think we ought to do about this challenge, this problem, this opportunity, this situation? And they're going to give you an answer. And when they pause, instead of just moving on, like, hey, I asked a question and I got the answer, you're going to say, wow, Mike, that's, that's really good. What, what else? And guess what? They will give you more. Yeah. You see, when we're asked a question, generally, uh, almost always, the first answer we roll out is kind of a safe answer. We're kind of testing the waters to see how they treat it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, Mike, if I ask you a question, you know, with what do you think about, you give me that first answer, and I then replied with, well, Mike, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. Well, you're sorry you answered. Next time, I'll get nothing. But when I say, wow, Mike, that, that's good. What, what else? Yeah. Well, you'll give me more. Right. And then when you you'll pause again, instead of moving on, I might say, hey, Mike, I'm grabbing a pen. I've got to take notes. Please, please continue. What, what else? Wow. And what I've discovered, Mike, is it's actually the third and fourth question that gets to their gold nugget, their very best thought. And once I realized this, I realized that often, even when I asked somebody, hey, what do you think? When I got that first answer, I then moved on. And uh, I was much like, you know, the story of the proverbial gold miner who mined for gold all his life, always looking for the gold vein, finally quits. Somebody comes along later and discovers he was within six inches. Yeah. Yeah. So if you only ask the first question, you're like that proverbial gold miner. You got close, but you got to dig a little with the what else's to get to the gold nugget. That's good. And uh, Again, the promise of this is who would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? If, if you've been a leader who only tells, just imagine your next staff meeting, either like one-on-one with a staff member or with your team around your conference table. Instead of telling them what to do, here's the topic. What do you all think we might do here? And when you get the answer, wow, well, what else? Hmm. And what else and what else? Just with these four questions, you will have moved from being a leader who leads by telling to a leader who leads with questions. And not only that, I can see that you would also be a leader who has, without even trying that hard, you have brought a a place of trust in the hearts and minds of your coworkers because they're thinking at some point, they're, they're starting to realize, hey, he means it. He wants to know what I think. Mike, another question. Mike, do you like being told what to do? Uh, probably not. If I were 100% honest, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. yeah I've got to meet a person who says, oh, I love being told what to do. <laughs> and, uh, the, the fact is a leader who says, hey, Mike, what do you think we might do here? Yeah, that's right. Whenever you had that kind of leader, how did 
how did them asking you, what do you think we might do? How did it make you feel? Yeah. Yeah. It just uh, suddenly gives worth. It gives uh, a sense that they have trust in you. And there is this sense that what my ideas might be might actually be thought of as uh, valuable. I think it, it's an affirming thing. Oh, it is. And, and then I think, you know, one more thought here, Mike, is, is when that coworker, that colleague, maybe one who reports to you, you know, says, well, Mike, here's what we might do. Here's an idea. And you could think to yourself, I would approach it differently. But you realize there's more than one route up to the mountaintop. Yeah, right. And and if I let Molly here go her route, and, and uh, she will get there, but she'll feel affirmed and she'll feel a lot more motivated going with her suggestion to get to the top of the mountain than me dictating what I want her to do. And so I say, Molly, wow, that's a great idea. Wow. Go for it. That's awesome. Love that idea. Well, whose idea is it? It's Molly's. Yeah. And how hard is she going to work to make it work? That's right. I mean, she, That's right. All. That's right. It's brilliant, man. I love it. We're out of time. Give us the, the website for how people can find these books. The blog is now in its 11th year. Just type in leadingwithquestions.com. Run that together, leadingwithquestions.com. When you get there, you can cursor to the bottom right, enter your email, and hit uh, subscribe, and you'll join leaders from 190 countries who wow. receive uh, my blog post every Monday and Thursday. On the top, you'll also see uh, where you can just click on the word books. There are five free ebooks in multiple languages. Some of them are also available as audiobooks, MP3 downloads, mm -hmm. all for free. Wow. And uh, then today, you know, we've highlighted the new book. Leading with Questions by Dr. Michael Morfort. When you go to Amazon, oh, here's something exciting. Since its release on April 25th, it has been the number one bestseller on Amazon in the category of business communication. Wow. Congratulations. Three editions. The new cover is blue. So when you go there, be sure to look for the new cover. There are probably all three still available, but you'll want the third edition with the blue cover. That sounds good. Bob TD, we're out of time. Thank you for being with me. We'll have to have you back when you're in Orlando. Come see me, okay? Mike, it's been great spending the afternoon with Mike. And that's great. Thank you, Bob. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on The Shepherd.